you've got your Bibles uh, or um, tablets or scrolls or Androids or whatever you're using these days, we're going to be looking at a passage in John chapter 8. Uh, before we dive in, we're in week two of a, uh, of a series called Live No Lies, based from a book of the same name by a guy called John Mark Comer. Um, really talking about why it's such a battle that we're in. We're in this crazy battle that's normal. We've kind of got to normalise that. And there's this battle that goes on with the world, the flesh, the devil, that every Christian's going to be in till the day that he returns in glory or that we see him face to face. Hallelujah. So like uh, Brad Thorne, we've got to normalise the fact that we're at war and, uh, and be equipped for that journey. Uh, and, uh, and, and it was, man, I've been super encouraged. Um, you know, like we, obviously we pray a lot into what series we do and all that sort of thing. We feel very spirit-led on a lot of that stuff. And, but man, just to hear the number of people that just throughout this last week have um, I've heard either through the grapevine or directly, just about some revelation that God's given them about where there's been like a lie that's kind of taken hold and just some of the truth that's starting to set people free. It's been amazing. And the beautiful thing is that um, that's got nothing to do with what I preach. Uh, there can be a catalyst for it. But it's interesting, uh, Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus is that they would, he says, I, I keep asking that God, um, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So what's actually happening, and I pray that this continues this morning, is that there's a spirit of revelation where you just begin to see some stuff in your life that you haven't seen before, and that's totally a sovereign work of God. He loves doing it. So Lord, we bless what you're doing. And Lord, may you continue that as we journey through this, that you'd set us free. So John chapter 8, uh, this is Jesus' longest kind of chat about what the devil's all about, but it's an interesting one because he's talking to some religious leaders of the day. Gulp. Um, so uh, John chapter 8, uh, verse 31, here's our text for today. He said this, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, this is the religious leaders, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. It's like, duh, bro, you remember the whole period of slavery? Whatever, man, it's all good, bro. Um, how can you say that we will all be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I've seen in, my, in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. So the question is, well, who's the father of these guys? Abraham is our father, they answered. If you're Abraham's children, just said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did, no, did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. And then they say this, we are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. We are not illegitimate children. This is an innuendo here, and in if you're going, going there a little bit, the Greek was going on. They're basically taking a dig at Jesus, and the rumors that he was born out of wedlock. So, like a so a literal translation here is, "We are not bastards like you." Pretty strong. So they go, "We're not illegitimate." Jesus said to them, "If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say." You belong to your father. Here he is, the devil. Oy, one of the top five things you don't want Jesus to say to you, I reckon. <laughs> you want to carry out your father's desires. And then he then goes on to describe Jesus, he, uh, the devil, sorry. He was a murderer from the beginning, 
not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Now, uh, we're going to spend this week and next week looking at the devil um, so that we can be schooled up. Again, as Zach De La Rocha from Rage Against the Machine says, know your enemy. And maybe drawing from some other historical sources, but as far as I'm concerned, he came up with that uh, himself. Um, it's helpful um, in terms of how we navigate our lives. So I just want us to notice a few things about what Jesus is saying here about the devil. Firstly, and Captain Obvious, but for Jesus, there is a devil. In the Greek, it's this word uh, diablos, where we get the word diabolical. Uh, in Greek, uh, the verbal root is to slander or to accuse. Uh, so more literally, he's the slanderer or the accuser. The devil is one of many names used by Jesus and the writers of the New Testament for a creature that we read about all the way through the library of Scripture. Uh, Jesus calls him the Satan, the evil one, the tempter, the destroyer, the deceiver, the serpent of old. Now, if you want to notice, all of these things are titles, they're not a name. Even Satan is the Satan, it's not a, that's not his name. Um, we, nowhere in the Bible we have got this name, and a lot of scholars think that this is a subtle dig by Jesus and the writers of the Bible to say he doesn't get one, not worthy of a name. Three times Jesus calls him the ruler of this world, archon, which is the, it's a political word for the highest ranking position in the government. So for Jesus, uh, this creature is the most powerful and influential creature in the cosmos after God. But it's not even close, so I need you to note that. Even with Jesus acknowledging this, he's talking about something created. God is the only creator. He's infinitely more powerful. The devil is real. He's not a myth. He's not a figment of the imagination. He's not a holdover from some superstitious pre-scientific age. He's not a red cartoon character with a pitchfork on your shoulder. To Jesus, he's an invisible but real intelligence that is the evil behind so much evil in our soul and society. And in the case of the passage that we read today, he's like, There's that, he's, this is who's behind the religious leaders that he's engaging with at the time. Now, this can be tricky for us in this time of history. We've got Wikipedia. We're really clever, you know. Um, and, and you may be here this morning and a bit sceptical, and you may be like, well, my Jesus, you know, you've got some good stuff to say. Now, I appreciate you've got some good stuff to say. I mean, that golden rule thing, love your neighbour as yourself, that's, that's some primo wisdom. I mean, that's pretty epic. You know, so you've got some other ideas that, that are helpful, but this devil stuff, come on, mate. You know, it's like maybe back then, but we're, we're way smarter now. Uh, it was interesting. There's this Kiwi psychologist back in the day who became very famous in the 80s called James Flynn, um, and he came up with this uh, theory called the Flynn Effect. I love how all these guys name their like, big discoveries by their name. It's the Harvey, the Harvey idea or whatever, you know. It's like it's so humble, I'm just going to name it after me. Um, and, and so basically this guy had this theory that he tried to prove that was like, basically, we're getting smarter. We're more intelligent. So he did all these standardised intelligence tests and basically came to this conclusion, man, we're getting our IQs going up and up and up. And like in the 1980s, everyone goes bananas. It like fits the narrative like perfectly. Like, yeah, we're progressing, you know, we're, we're, we're clever, getting clever and clever, and we're going to have this secular Western utopia that's going to start kicking in any day now because we're, you know, we get so clever. And then um, after a while, um, this theory gets completely debunked, including by Flynn himself. <laughs> uh, we're basically, I was like, oh man, it turns out we're no more intelligent than we were 30,000 years ago. Here's the thing though, next. Um, there is, so we do have more knowledge, absolutely. 
Um, but knowledge is not the same thing as intelligence and is definitely not the same thing as wisdom. There's a big difference between those three things. So uh, sometimes what can happen in our day and age is what we get what C.S. Lewis called chronological snubbery, where we're like, oh, all these guys are clever now. And so, and clearly, you know, in our scientific world, the devil stuff, that's just bizarre, again, pre-scientific, superstitious nonsense. Now, you know, um, but what if Jesus knows better than that? Maybe Jesus understands the true nature of reality. What if the church fathers had more wisdom and understanding about the reality of this and therefore what we can do to overcome it so that we can walk into the flourishing life everyone longs to live? So for the first point, Jesus, there is a devil. The second thing Jesus says, the devil's end goal is murder, is destruction. Jesus said he's a murderer from the beginning. Later in the gospel, he says, the thief has come to kill, steal, and destroy. He's at war with God and God's kingdom. That which is good and beautiful and true, he wants to break down. If Jesus' manifesto is, let's see heaven come to earth, Satan's manif- the Satan's manifesto is, let's see hell come to earth. So to be a follower of Jesus, to be engaged in this battle and to be in this war, which is why we want to talk about this whole concept. And this is why I think it feels so often in our minds or in our bodies or in society like a war zone, because it actually is. Third thing is the devil for Jesus, his desire is murder and destruction, and the means, the ways that he goes about it is lies. We talked a little bit about this last week. He's the father of lies. He's the origin point of deception. Jesus says when he lies, he speaks his native language. Now, most of us that have grown up in charismatic circles like me, um, the term that we have for this is spiritual warfare. And... um, Who's heard some crazy stuff over the years on that whole spiritual warfare gig, man? Uh, and unfortunately, what is often called spiritual warfare today is often con- conjecture or at its extreme superstitious nonsense. Um, we had a well-meaning person sit down with us when we first got here to Napier, very enthusiastically rattling off all the idols and demonic statues around Napier. The Statue of Pania is just an idol, the building over there is definitely Masonic and evil. You know, and we just kind of went through this whole stuff. Um, and and that's the for me that's like mate we're, we're starting we're flirting with Christian paranoia now, you know I'm like Pfft. now I'm not saying that stuff doesn't happen you know that sort of stuff isn't legit you know what I'm absolutely I'm not dismissing the whole thing but it's not the main way the devil operates. That's kind of been the thing in often the charismatic circles is like you know you're driving to work, uh, driving to church and you have your argument with your wife and it's a spiritual attack. So no, I wasn't, bro. You've just been an absolute muppet and you deserve to be taken to the cleaners, you know, for the way that you yelled at the kids that morning or whatever. I don't know. You know, we get a flat tire somewhere and it's a spiritual attack. I'm like, well, maybe it's just you hit a rock and your tire got flat. You know, it's like sometimes I'm like, hey, we've got to dial down some of that Christian superstitious nonsense because I don't think it's helpful. At the same time, he's at <laughs> some healing happening in the room uh, this morning. I'm not saying that stuff hasn't happened though, and I've experienced some weird stuff. But how's, what's the primary way the devil operates? Jesus says it's through lies. You belong to your father, the devil. He says again, one of those big things you don't want Jesus to say to you. And you're carrying out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar, the father of lies. That's where Jesus emphasizes the devil's activity. It's interesting in Genesis 3, when the snake, which is an early personification of the devil in the Bible, comes to Eve with evil intent, he doesn't come with like, hey, you know, he comes with an idea. 
comes with a lie. You eat this, something will happen. You get some more knowledge of good and evil and that sort of stuff. Right? That's the way he's always... So for Jesus, he's real number one. His end goal is to bring destruction, and he does that primarily through lies. So therefore, spiritual warfare is primarily a fight to believe truth over lies. So therefore, you've got to ask the question, well, what's truth? Um, so Pilate asked this question 2,000 years ago in John 18, verse 38. Jesus is there having his yarn with him. He's like, I'm the truth. And Pilate's like, what's truth, mate? And we, I just thought it was Glastonbury hippies that asked that sort of question. You know, what is truth and your truth and my truth and all that sort of stuff. Oh, you truth, man. You know, and so you got your truth and I truth. Like, yeah, it's, you know, I thought that was a figure in chronological snubbery. I thought that was a recent phenomenon or a post-truth thing. It's like, no, Pilate was asking that question. Yeah, what is truth? So that's a good question. The best definition, I think, of what truth is, is reality. So then what's reality? Reality is what you bump into when you're wrong. So, for example, this guy, Franz here, uh, was an early French inventor, um, and he believed his parachute there um, he had invented would enable him to fly, and he plummeted to his death off the Eiffel Tower. Doesn't matter if you believe it, reality will not budge. He discovered fairly quickly, <laughs> that is not true. <laughs> so, hence the statement, a dose of reality or the cold hard truth. So a lie is that that statement or that claim or that tweet does not correspond with reality. Truth is reality. Lies are unreality. Now, let's look at how truth and lies all work together to form us. And again, this is part of the battle that we're all in. So there's this idea of mental maps that we've all got. So uh, we live in Bayview. We, uh, the boys go to St. Patrick's School. So we drive in every day to drop them off to school and pick them up. Man, that is literally a mental map for me. Like, I'm an autopilot. It's first thing in the morning. We've normally spent the morning yelling at the kids and getting in the car, and then it's like, oh, I'm in the car. And I'm just in full, like, you know, like, I'm like, oh, I'm past the roundabout. That's, you know, anyone had that moment where you're like, oh, there's a whole bit of road I forgot, I don't remember. It's just full noise autopilot. And sometimes in the morning when I'm driving to church and a little foggy about, you know, because they're here fairly early, I'm like, oh, I'm on my way to school. <laughs> I've got, I'm trying to go to church. Uh, we have these mental maps that can kick in. If my mental map is true, I will end up where I want to go. And if it's not, I won't. Now, we have all, we all have, if we're going to go, here we go. We all have these mental maps that are like the defaults for what we believe about sexuality, about money, about power, about love, about time, about what life is about, about what the route to happiness is. We all have these mental maps. And these mental maps, you're going to have to track with me and focus, you know, this is Harvey trying to be a philosopher and it's very scary for all involved and I know enough just to be dangerous. But um, So we've got these mental maps. All of these ideas are based from a set of assumptions about reality. And then we, all, we navigate this world of ideas. John Mark Comer says it like this, The wonder of the human mind is our ability to hold ideas in our mind that correspond to reality and ideas that don't correspond to reality. We have this capacity to imagine what is and what isn't. And this is what separates us from the animals. It enables spirituality, society, and all creativity. This is our genius and our Achilles heel. So, so what he's saying there is that I have this capacity to imagine something that's not real and then I can use my energies to bring that to pass. So when we felt called to plant Bay Vineyard, this church did not exist. But in our mind it did. We had a mental map about what it was going to feel like, what it was going to be like. You know, I, 
you know, really honestly had more beautiful people in the room than we currently do. But, you know, I was still pretty, pretty similar to, um, to no, I'm joking. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I had this whole thing and then we, we got a team. We all worked together to make that future a reality. Now, Blue, our little dog that we've just uh, picked up recently, um, you know, so I'm, we've got this lovely little dog, Blue, and I'm learning all sorts of things I don't care about. But what I'm noticing <laughs> is that Blue lives in the present. There's no capacity for Blue to hold the unreality of the future in his mind. The future is an idea. It doesn't exist yet, so it doesn't, he just doesn't think about it at all. <laughs> He's not having issues with anxiety about next month. He's not having an existential crisis on the meaning of existence. He's just super stoked about the present, baby, yeah. You wake up in the morning and it's like the first time he's met you. He's like, oh, it's amazing, you know, and it's like we're off for a walk, you know, and it's like he's super stoked about the present all the time. He's not anxious about the future or, or, or he's not planning, you know, how he's going to build a better kennel or anything like that. He's just full noise in the present. And this is what separates us from the animals. This enables all forms of creativity, right? You can bake a cake, write a book, build a home, start a business, make a coffee. All because there's some mental map in your mind that says, I want to go here. Uh, and then you use your body to do it, to, to go there. It's our genius and it's our Achilles heel. Because not only can we hold uh, this unreality in our minds, but sometimes if it's not true, we can start to believe lies, we can believe in something that does not correspond to the way that things actually work. That's big. We can believe in things that don't correspond to the way that things actually work. Uh, and so Dallas Willis says, like, we live at the mercy of our ideas about God or humanity, sexuality, time, relationship, money, politics, you, na you name it. And the ideas that we have in our mind give shape to what we do in our bodies, which in turn shape the people that we become. So we believe certain things that changes our behaviours and then over time that's who we become. Now I'm hoping to be that guy, don't know about you, um, but over time. So here's the thing, when we believe in truth, we show up to reality well. When we believe in truth, we show up to reality really well. We show up to our body well, our relationships well, our work well, our creativity, it's congruent with reality. When we believe in lies and we allow those lies into our bodies, even though we don't know they're lies, we open our soul to a poison that can really mess us up. And at an extreme, you can see mental illness like paranoid schizophrenia as a mind that's set in unreality that has brought ruin to a soul. It's like a tragedy. But far more commonly, if a lie has permeated and the mental mind maps are off, it actually starts affecting all that we are. When mental maps are off, then like we're very vulnerable to depression, anxiety, we feel anger easily, and then we often just will use a lie that to process this feeling, I need to anesthetize my pain, or I wanna anesthetize this feeling. And so then we use alcohol and drugs and porn and equally as messed up in the West as a workaholic vibe to numb our pain. Either running too fast through our work and careers and life to deal with our pain or a mixture of both. And again, an absolute extreme, but it's tragically super common, is suicide. To escape the fact that you've just hit 
constantly you've made choices that have just put you in this place of incredible pain or you've believed lies about who you are. And nothing has convinced me more about the reality of a devil that uses lies than suicide. I've taken far too many funerals. I suspect everyone in this room has been affected some way, shape or form. And if you've talked to someone who survived or backed off at the last second or you read the notes of people that have died, you realise their mind was filled with lies. And so this, this is tricky because it's not like the enemy, like I said last week, the enemy's going, the sky's red. And you're like, shut up, the sky's blue. You're an idiot. Unless you're colorblind. I don't know what you guys see up there. But it's like, <laughs> but he, like it just twists it enough that it, it, could, like, it feels like it's truth to us. But then we start hitting reality. And this is where your body is a major prophet, not a minor prophet. <laughs> when your body starts to, when you're like feeling physiologically like tense all the time or anxious or sleepless, like your body's trying to tell you something. Like we're heading into some, we're heading to reality of the consequences of living with something that keeps banging up. It's like, that's not true. Um, and it can be tricky. And so, you know, again, this will be like, um, for much of our society, they, it's like, how can we flourish? How can I feel love, joy, and peace? And so those three things, which are the first three fruit of the Spirit, we all desperately want to live lives like that. Will people find love in all the wrong places, promiscuous in their bodies and all that sort of thing? They find peace by smoking pot, and they find a bit of joy by hitting the, hitting the res. Right? And it's like artificial peace, chemical joy, and love that's not genuine love. But it kind of feels like it a little bit, enough, again, because the enemy just distorts and twists it. But you pay a price in the long term. Again, the big lie of the enemy, there's no consequences to this. Often there's not immediate consequences. But you pay a price for all those things, and it accumulates over time. And it can really distort and mess up your soul. And you just wind up in this spiral downwards. And, you just don't, and I'm like, mate, you go to the source. You go to the source of love, of joy, and peace. Woo, baby. I'm smoking that all day long. Come on, give me more. Bar's always open. You know, I'm like, you just you find it in Jesus. And I, this is where the true fruit is found. This is where you find it. The funny, the tragedy is that sometimes we can make a lie that's a bit of a mental map actually become our experience, which then reinforces the lie. Now, this is when we get crazy. For example, um, sometimes, you know, it's like, I've, I've, I feel like I've worked through this in a little way, like that lie that I'm not that lovable or that people don't really like me. Um, and God, it's funny, I've been noticing that God's healed that in probably the last three or four years. I don't think, you know, you don't realise it's there. And then the other, I was talking about this in a sermon a few years back, but I was like, but then when you start going, oh, my default is that people will like me, it changes how I interact with people. So, for example, when I go out surfing, I used to just sit on my own because I'm not that cool, I'm a pastor. You know, just all that mental rubbish that you say about yourself, I'm going to sit on my own. But then when you start getting healed of that, you start bowling up to someone and be like, 
hey, bro, yeah, bring sweet waves, eh? Like, yeah, it's a good day. How are you doing there? And it turns out that everyone likes someone that's quite nice and keen to have a chat. <laughs> and everyone probably is feeling like they're not very worthy of love or whatever. And then and there's that whole thing that goes on. So you just be a combo breaker and just paddle on up there and like, oh, mate, it's a cracker, waves, you know, and you start yarning away with people and you have a great time. And it's like, oh, you know, my mental map has changed a little bit. But the opposite can be true as well, where you're like, oh, I'm just not that lovable. And so you go into all these situations acting a bit standoffish and you say, oh, I knew it. Am I right or am I right? You're right? You're like, oh. I heard the story once, Cracker illustrates this perfectly. This guy's driving along, gets a flat tyre. And he has to, he's, he noticed there'd been a farmhouse a few kilometres back. He said, oh, I've got to, I, I don't have a wrench, so I've got to go back and ask the guy if I can get the wrench to get the, the tyre off. And then as he's walking to the, father, to the farmer's house, his mental mind map kicks in, and he's like, I bet you he's going to be annoyed about me asking. Oh, for goodness sake, you know, like... I bet you he's just going to, I mean, it is, it is a little bit after dark and maybe he's going to bed early. He's, just, he's going to be so annoyed that I've knocked on the door. You know, but like at the end of the day, I'm, I'm stuck here and I need help from people. And what is it with people that don't want to give people a wrench? I mean, I'm stuck here. I can't believe that this guy doesn't even want to give me a wrench. And he's walking along getting a full head of steam, knocks on the door. The farmer opens and he says, and the guy says to him, I don't want your damn wrench anyway, <laughs> you son of an electric donkey bottom scratcher. And then he just marches off or whatever other words Ned Flanders can say in that situation. And, uh, and then again, it's fulfilling this mental mind map that's a lie. Just building it. And, and so tragically, um, you know, there's this... And so again, what's the interesting thing in our culture is that there's these mental mind maps. The predominant secular mental mind map is that you are effectively an animal with time and chance on your side... And so therefore sexuality, gender, marriage, morality becomes no more than a social construct from the patriarchy to oppress you and limit your freedom. It's one of the big narratives in the world today. Darren Farrier, who's done some good stuff to expose brokenness in the church, but he's definitely swimming in that. But he, I appreciate his honesty and integrity. Does it bother anyone else that we're just a self-aware bunch of chemical electrical signals firing away in some fatty mush being carried around by a rapidly dying meat suit? I mean, that's a pretty articulate way of describing the secular vision for what we're about. And if you believe that, it won't take you long before you're doing things with your body and behaving in ways that are deeply dehumanizing and will bring pain to your life. But if your mental mind map is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you have a creator God who loves you and is for you and wants to see you flourish. If you believe that this God, that everything that this God calls you to is motivated by love and leads you to life, with that mental mind map, you will live in a way congruent to how you've been designed and you can flourish. And God has given us a framework that enables our soul to flourish. Our relationships with God and with others and with creation can be healthy. It was given first as the law in the Old Testament and then Jesus comes about and fulfills the law and establishes a new covenant brought through his blood, a covenant of grace. But this moral framework, especially the way we're called to live under our Creator, still stands. It's like the law of gravity. It's there. And it's, it, he gives us these boundaries and guidelines not to ruin our fun, but to see us flourish and come to life. That's his heart. That's a mental mind map that's key. I'll, I'll say it again. Everything that God calls us to is motivated by love and leads us to life. That's a mental mind map I pray that eventually seeps deep into your psyche 
everything he calls you to is motivated by love and will lead you to life. But there are very real boundaries to how the human soul is called to navigate in this broken and falling world. And when you make decisions that go against the way he intends us to live, it's like actually going against a grain of wood. It, it, it results in discomfort and pain and it's, oh, it's difficult. And the devil wants us to live that way. So we talked about this last week, that there's these deceptive ideas that the devil uses that play to the disordered desires of our flesh. We're going to look at that in a couple of weeks. They become normalized in a sinful society. So uh, um, man, I'm doing well this morning. And I'm actually come, I've actually got on here and I come into land with this. Unreal. Come on, church. Historical Bay Vineyarders are just like, this is... Hmm. I wonder how long I've... No, we're all good. Uh, So how do we deal with the devil then? Back to him. Here's the beauty uh, about faith in Jesus. On the cross, the Bible says, Jesus disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Jesus has won the great contest. Genesis 3.15 says, The seed of the woman has bruised the head of the seed of the serpent. Uh, Paul talks about the legal debt sinners were under, and Christ has now set this aside by nailing it to the cross. Therefore, no one can condemn us, says Colossians 2 verse 16. This is how Jesus has disarmed the powers. He's taken away the Satan's power to hold sinners to the debt of their sins and trespasses. He's set us free from that lie. So when he, and I talked about this last week, did we get that shame cycle that kicks in and you're naughty and you're... And it's like, no, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, my shame has been nailed to it. Because of all, well, it doesn't matter what I've done, he's, he's defeated the power over that. So Satan, you have no right to accuse me anymore. Jesus has taken care of it on the cross and conquered and destroyed the evil one. Hallelujah. But he's still at work. So, so he hasn't destroyed him yet. He's going to destroy him and we read about that in Revelation, we'll get there in a second. So he's taken away Satan's power to hold sinners, you know, to this, this place of condemnation and shame. He can't accuse you anymore. That's why the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee. Now next week, we're going to give you a whole lot more stuff around practical things that you can do to wage war against the, the devil and his lies. Again, I've got, to, I've got to say, folks, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, this is a battle you're in. Don't think for a second because you've been a Christian a long time, you don't have some stuff that's just off that he wants to set you free from. And, 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 and if you're only early journeying with Jesus and all the rest of it, man, let him come in and totally reshape the way you think. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Orientate your entire life around Jesus. Don't have him as a hobby on the side. Like every, Just let the truth set you free as you engage with him. So this is the application today. The application initially, and we'll, again, we'll unpack more on that next week. But say, nope, devil, rack off. You can use stronger language if you want. Here's between you and the devil. <laughs> Mine and my mate got this mate. Oh, it's a quick side tangent because I've got a bit of time. Um, <laughs> my mate uh, was preaching down in Invercargill one time, and he's friends with a lot of the, the red whanau. And he was preaching down in, um, in Invercargill, real staunch conservative thing. And he was telling the yarn about one of his mates that had come to faith in the Red Fano. And, um, and like, he was just raging against the devil one day because feeling super tempted. And he was like, F off devil. But my mate said the words in this brethren church. <laughs> and he said he had an outer body experience as he saw the actual words come out of his mouth. And he was like, oh no. And then he tried to keep on going like it was normal. And then he got off the stage and there was a little line of, uh, of elders there waiting to have a little chat. 
He didn't go back to speak at that church again. <laughs> it's going to be a battle, right? But it's like, no, rack off, devil. No, go. In Jesus' name, I command you to go. When you're feeling that temptation or that lie about who you are or whatever it is, again, no, we, we resist the devil and he'll flee. He'll flee. Uh, it's the, the, the theological stuff around here, next slide, uh, Ramon, is that um, basically the cross was like D-Day in World War II. It's the decisive battle that saw the, the war over effectively. That was it. Hitler was conquered, but there was a huge amount of fighting between D-Day and VE Day, Victory in Europe Day. And what God has done through Jesus on the cross is He's, he's taken away Satan's power. He's defeated him, but we live between D-Day and V-Day when Jesus will return one day in glory. And according to Revelation, then he's throwing the Satan into the pit of hell forever. See you later, mate. But between D-Day and V-Day was some of the fierce fighting of the war. They knew it was over, but it was just this fierce fighting that went on. And we're in that space to his theological framework because of the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Mate, you know you're done. You're done, mate. Huge fight that's going on until he returns in glory and the world's transformed to the way that it was always meant to be. Um, there's a statement, those who are vanquished are always more angry than powerful. So while, while the Satan and the devil and his minions rage, they can only express frustration because their fate is sealed. Yeah. Lastly, um, we are the people of God and we're called to bring God's kingdom. When Jesus sent out the 72 and they came back geeking out about all that God had done, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. So here's the thing, next slide. We're called, in terms of application, here's my thing. Fill yourself with the light of God. Because it's not like, it's not like a battle between light and darkness. Like if you turn on the light, it's not like the darkness just kind of hangs around in the room. Right? Turn on the light, the darkness flees. It's exactly what it's like. So the more you can fill yourself with the light of God, the darkness just has no place to, to, to be in that space. Incredible. You know, when Jackie Pullinger was working with all these drug addicts in Hong Kong, it wasn't some technique. It's like they just prayed in tongues over these broken people. And what, and what people said, you can't get freed from that addiction. They got freed from it by the power of God. Again, so we don't fight with the tools of this world. We fight with these spiritual armour and with the, with the, again, we're talking about this a whole lot more next week. So those lies come in and like the best thing you can do to expose those lies and walk in truth is to fill yourself with His presence. Just fill yourself with His presence. To have your devotional life, get an upper clerk, have a huddle, da 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 da. Every day, this is a battle. You can't come to church and think that's enough. Yes, every day in his presence and seeking and hungering and contending for his presence and getting up a bit earlier for his presence. And like we're in war, friends. You've got to be just in his presence. And as more of his presence fills you, the more free you get, the more truth you walk in, and it feels good. It feels good in your inner being. We're like, oh, that's the way I'm meant to be. This is the way. Again, love, joy, and peace. Like this, all that other stuff loses its appeal because you get to the source. Get to the source of it and genuine. I mean, I'm preaching this passionately because I know it. So, like most days, at some point in the day, I'm like, I can't believe I get to feel like this. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. 
And it's like, and just more and more as I go through my life, as I'm committed to the way of Jesus, doesn't happen overnight, but it will happen again. If cultural statement of Bay Vineyard, you keep choosing Him, keep choosing Him, and the darkness flees more and more and more. And then we're called to go out and bring that light into our community, into our workplaces, and our families, where there's something there in us where we're carrying the light of God into dark places. And yeah, you've got to be consistent, and it doesn't happen overnight, and all that sort of stuff. But that's, and then Satan's like falling like lightning. And Jesus is like, yeah, right? Woo. All right, we're going to come into land two minutes early. Oh, let's, let's have a little bit of time of prayer.